Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Doctors of Running Podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on your feet. I'll be your host for tonight or today or this morning. I'm Nathan Brown, and I have Dr. Matthew Klein with me today. It's just the two of us sitting at the round table, a little empty tonight. It feels empty when there's only two of us, but at the same time, I feel like that's when a lot of good conversations ends up end up coming out. It's good to hear each other's thoughts and have a little bit deeper one-on-one conversations. And we're going to be talking about strategies for decreasing load and stress on your body and times in which you may want to consider doing so. So that's kind of the structure of the day. We're going to go through a couple scenarios. There are more than just this, but a couple scenarios that you might want to think about decreasing the amount of stress and load on your body. We'll talk about what stress and load are. Uh, And then we'll talk about uh, a couple particular strategies regarding recovery and some ways to increase load, but add decreased amounts. So in that vein, our subjective question for the day is this, how long do you wait to run after racing an A race or like the main race you're going for where you're giving your full out effort? Uh, You know, whether that's a marathon, whether if it's a 5k, Let us know what type of race it is, if you're running a 5K or a 10K or half marathon or whatever it is, and then how much time do you take off from running, meaning strict no running, until you start running again. We'd love to hear uh, how long that is for different people and why you choose to do so. But before we go any further, we won't even answer that question for us yet, Matt, but how are you doing? I'm doing good. Super busy, uh, trying to hang in there, enjoying... The winter, well, relative, right? You're going to laugh at me, but the thing's getting a little cooler here in Southern California. I, <laughs> yeah. miss, I miss snow. It's supposed to rain here the next couple of days, so I'm really, really excited, but it's not oh, going to cool. be like snow, snow. So Nathan says these amazing videos from Wisconsin where there's the snow coming down, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm missing it so much, and he's like, oh, here we go again. Is that true or not true? No, it's great. It's great. Yeah, okay. no, we had, we had, no, we had snow like three weeks ago. Obviously, it didn't stick, but ah. it's it's kind of fun. It's like the teasing, and then we yeah. had a week of 70s, so oh, it, it just goes back and forth. Yeah, kind of a weird... We've had a very warm October and beginning of November, but I think it's I think it's going to normalize at this point. And you, so. you, your kids have experienced... This is an obvious question, but just double check. Your kids have experienced snow days out there, correct? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And cold days. And cold... Oh, that's right. I forgot that you also have yeah. cold days. Yeah. If it's cold enough where it's dangerous for kids to be outside who have to take the bus or walk to school, they wow. they keep those kids in mind and they'll cancel Got school. It. I just want to think I just yeah. l- I looked forward to snow days so much when I was younger and I realized that talking to Regina, Regina my wife, she's being down in Southern California her, her whole life, she's never had a snow day. Oh, wow. What? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, snow days are the best because yes. nobody's sick. You're just enjoying You're just home. It's, right. yeah, yeah, it's just fun. You go play. Speaking of all this cold weather, this yeah. is legitimately not a sponsor, but I do wear these every single day. So I have to give them a shout out. The Decker's X Lab Sniper Mid is legitimately yep. my favorite shoe all winter long. I just wear it all the time. It's it's expensive, yes, it's <laughs> and unnecessary. But I also love it. I have it with me because I was wearing them, but my feet are starting to get a little warm. 
but because it's because it's warm in this room that i record in yeah one of the warmest shoes i've experienced (laughs) (laughs) yes but let's start talking about our topic and stop jib jabbing about weather but matt i want to hear a little bit from you we're going to be talking about load we're going to be talking about stress Uh, how do you define load and stress are they the same thing are they different and and how can we conceptualize them as we use them in this conversation yeah that's a that's a great question uh some people will definitely use them interchangeably there are you know some slight probably definitional definitional that's a new word uh (laughs) some slight variances depending on who you're talking about and they're they're definitely not a bad thing it's something that both you and i use therapeutically whether it's with our patients or ourselves but at the same time there can be too much of a good thing so there's tissues in your body that certainly respond to stress and load you know it's that's how we actually get better is you stress or load a system and you give it adequate recovery time and that's how it gets better for you to be able to do that again if you have too much of those things though and not enough recovery that's where you start kind of moving toward injury so stress can be stress and load can be things that maybe influence an injury. They can be things that help you get back from an injury. It just depends on the magnitude and your recovery from each one of them. So how would you define those those two things? Yeah, I think about them in slightly different ways. When I think of stress, I, I probably even should use this other term as well, but I think of stress and strain from a very you know physics standpoint. Right. So something like stress has a mathematical definition, which is the force directed over a certain amount of area. So force over area, that is technically the definition of stress. Um, strain is one is the deformation of a, uh, a, a, of a tissue over a certain amount of time and length. So it's, the, the, there's, there's mathematical definitions of these things and what stress and strain do to our tissues is damage <laughs> um, in some ways. And, and damage is not a bad thing, but damage does need time to repair itself. So I think that that's kind of the biggest consideration when I think about stress and strain first. I think about these mathematical definitions of things that happen to our body. When you hop on one foot, there is strain that happens to your Achilles because your Achilles stretches out um, under a load. And so that deformation is strain. Um, And and stress is the impact forces that go through your bone that add compression. So it's a force over a certain amount of area. So I think about them somewhat mathematically. And then I feel like load is kind of this like bigger picture term that I think about. And there's different ways to, to think about it. Some people, sometimes you can think about load in your sets and reps that you do for certain exercises or your running volume with your intensity and your frequency and your duration. Um, you can think about things like acute to chronic workload ratio and calculating the amount of running time and intensity combined of one week over the average of the last four weeks before. There's temp. There's lots of ways that I think load can be applied in a very functional and decision-making kind of way, whereas stress and strain are these concepts that are harder to like apply in a very practical way, right. but their impact, their impact on our bodies, um, is strong. Yeah. So does that make sense? That makes sense. I think to add a little bit on there, there's also some like kind of cognitive views of things. I feel like, especially in our profession, load is oftentimes looked upon as positive. Hey, we're going to load this tissue and do this stress and strain tend to be looked on more negative. Like, Oh, this is stressful. This is like straining this tissue, but it's not necessarily the case, right? It's just, this is these, mm-hmm. how these forces and these components are defined, how we utilize them is where this comes. It becomes more right. important. Actually. And yeah, I, th- I think the, like you had said, and kind of what I had also agreed with, is that stress and strain demand a response from our body. 
you have load, you have stress, you have strain, and then you have to let your body respond to that. You have to let it rebuild the tissues right. that it breaks down. And that's kind of a big important part. So we we'd kind of said that the big picture of this episode is to talk about when you might want to consider decreasing the amount of load through your body um, and then strategies of how to do so. So the first, we're going to talk about two main reasons. The first reason is going to be after a big race, which is why we did our subjective question is how long do you take off of running? And so, and we're going to use the marathon as, as an example because it's a very popular event and it's also like the longest popular event Sorry, ultra marathon people. Yes, that's a whole other like amount of stress and demand. We get that. But from like a road racing uh, perspective, uh, the marathon's a very popular race for a lot of people. So first, I wanted to go over a couple of things that happen to your body after you run a marathon and how that might impact our return. So I'm just going to rattle off a couple of things. This comes from a myriad of studies. Um, it's not just one study that found all these things. This is kind of found from a lot of things. And the point of this is not to scare you about what happens after a marathon. The point is to say running a marathon takes a toll on your body, and this is the toll that it takes. It's normal for these things to happen. This is not a, a damaging response. This is um, a damage. It's not, it's not harming you. Right. It may hurt, but it's not harm. <laughs> so it hurts the system for a period of time. And if it can recover, then there's no harm. So here we go. Here's kind of my list. So um, the obvious one that you probably think of that I know I think of is you cause damage. So I'm going to use the word damage. Damage to your muscles, tendons, ligaments, and bones. All of that impact load, stress, and strain. Your immune system is temporarily compromised. There's temporary kidney damage. There is the risk of mood changes post-race, so like the post-marathon blues. If you haven't experienced it, it's very real. <laughs> um, and there's biomarkers of all of this muscle damage that remains present in your muscles and your bloodstream up to four weeks after your race, even after all of the soreness is gone. So a lot of our body systems have a very high amount of stress and strain and load that decreases uh, function in a lot of different systems. So how, how do you react to that, Matt? When you hear that list, what kind of starts going through your mind? I, this is probably a little personal bias with it. We're very fortunate that we get to dive into the research that we know of, but it's like, yep, that's the first thought is, yep, that's what happens. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say this, but I've had more people than I would like come to me as patients that have, you know, tried to come back too quick or, you know, going, look, I just ran my marathon. I'm super pumped. I'm gonna go like do this race. They're like jump into training too quick. Your body needs time to heal from a mat from a, that kind of magnitude. And it's mm -hmm. like Nathan said, it's not bad for you. We don't have evidence that says doing marathons is bad for you. But we do know that that load requires time for your body to adapt. So I'm going to go back to the comment that we made earlier. It, you, you know, stress and strain that's and load, that's how your body gets better. But you have to pair it with adequate recovery. And that's the problem is I don't think people realize how long it takes to really recover from a marathon. You know, that... The, the first time that I raced a marathon is the first time I humbled myself. I, I didn't have a choice. I was humbled enough that I couldn't run for several days after. I had to just walk for a week. And part of me was like, I would like to run, but I can't. And it was probably one of the few times I've been like, oh, I just have to kind of wait this out. And I was able to ease back into it. And I'm thankful my body was smart enough to say no. But people don't always know how to listen to that. And that's kind of the challenge is going, they're not aware of, 
you need recovery time. It's got to match what you just did. What do you think about timelines for returning to running? When you think about, and and I think we should put a caveat on this. This isn't for someone who runs marathons all the time. Right. And it's not, it's not for someone that is just running 26.2 miles. It's for someone that raced 26.2 miles, whatever that means for you. If that means you ran a five hour marathon and that was everything you had, uh, then, then that that's racing the marathon. And that's kind of what we're talking to. If that means you ran a, 230, you know, whatever, wherever you are in that realm, we're talking about people who are racing that marathon distance, not just someone who's going out and running, you know, you see it all the time with, uh, not all the time. You see it in certain, in, in, I would say more unique cases. Think about what Kofosi's doing right now. Right. So he's like going to run, he just ran New York marathon today and then he's going to go race CIM soon. Right. And that, you know, those things aren't, he didn't race today though. It was more of a long, it was a long run. It was a very long run. run. Yeah. The other group I got to give yes. a shout out to is it very well known is Marathon Maniacs are also another group that tend to do a very high volume of those. And this is going to be different if you're if you're not putting 100 percent effort in and your body has adapted and you're more used to doing that. This is, again, racing. So uh, can you repeat your question one more time since we will? Yeah, I'll repeat on it. And yeah. one, one more caveat, and then I'll ask the question again. But the, the other caveat is I'd say this definitely this gears. This isn't just reserved for first time marathoners nope. racing is racing it's got the impact on your body um regardless of if you've done it a million times or it's your first time but the question is really what do you think about in terms of when why might when might you have people return to things like running how long to wait until running what other activities might you do in the meantime what kind of things do you think about yeah that's the i think the first thing i'm going to think about is that last question this has taken some time to learn that yes we want to keep people moving in some form that facilitates an active recovery, but we have to be very careful given the state they're in. As you know, Nathan just mentioned that post-marathon, when you've raced, you're in a little bit of a compromised state, not just physically, but also in, there's a lot of evidence that your immune system is compromised after, so you have an increased risk of getting sick and stuff like that. So getting back into like hard workouts and hard efforts, definitely not. There's some evidence that suggests that you may actually have to wait up to two to three months to get back to like hard efforts and hard training because it takes your body that long to recover. How long it's going to get you, take you to get back to running is going to depend on you. And it's great. Some great alternatives. That's where cross training comes in. Something as simple as, you know, what I did walking, biking, aquatics, you know, like aqua running or, you know, swimming, Doing something a little bit different that facilitates active recovery to get some blood flow in there without causing the same stresses that you just did is a great option. And the great thing is we have so many tools out there. I mean, you got to test the lever recently. They've got, you know, there's alter G's are becoming more popular in, in gyms and stuff like that. So there's lots of options to stay moving while your body recovers. But how long it takes to start running again is really going to depend, in my opinion, I'm curious to know what you say, on the person. Right. And it depends on how you feel. For me, it was just going, all right, let's see how my body feels. And it took me a little over a week to get back to even just jogging. So, you know, it really is going to depend on your body and a lot of other factors. But I think maybe a week or so might be not be a bad idea for that kind of an effort. Right. What do you think? To go back to, to a light jog. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I might even be a little more cautious especially if you're not someone who knows yourself yet yeah and that's and, fair and i would put myself in that category um where you where i just don't have a full understanding of myself i think some of the evidence looking at 
these biomarkers of tissue damage lasting for, you know, four weeks, yep. I think is one of those things to pay attention to. Obviously, right. they're there because you're still going through a process of recovery. And so trying to continually break down tissue that's still trying to recover, I think, is is something to consider. Right. So um, I think that a good general rule of thumb for people maybe more like me is don't run for two weeks. <laughs> Give yourself two weeks where you're doing something like walking and your your huge focus is on recovery, meaning that you sleep a lot, that you eat really well, and that you drink a lot of water. And just keep it really simple for two weeks. Maybe go on some walks, maybe a light bike ride, but just avoid some of those higher stresses that that would replicate what you did in your marathon and allowing everything to recover. Where then I think moving from weeks three to four is where you could start to reintroduce some light runs with week four really being increasing the frequency of the runs. Cause maybe for me, like the way that I, and this is a, the way that I did it, there's some anecdotal kind of just like the way that you could do things was I took, two, I just did that. So no judgment. Yeah, <laughs> took two full weeks off. And then in the week two, I ran 30 minutes twice. And then I, depending on how I felt, that's how I decided to, what to do the next week. And I didn't have any goal things after that marathon, which made it very easy to really listen to how my body felt. And I, I just remember feeling so sluggish for like, for like six weeks. I, I just didn't have any giddy up and I thankfully didn't have to have giddy up. I just let myself do what it was good for. But I think we know that there's signs of tissue damage for that, for at least four weeks there. There's other evidence that we've seen that does say that it can take multiple months to be able to recover and return back to things. And just like putting it in your head from a psychological standpoint the best marathoners in the world take time off yep. of running after you finish. They might take weeks off and that's, that's normal. And, and part of the people who perform at the highest level in this sport. So I think that our pride sometimes wants to get in our way and wants us to go out and run before our body is ready. When really we just don't, you just don't want to get hurt. You're just at a higher risk of injury when you're, when your capacity of all these tissues is decreased. I'm going to throw a little, I have my own opinions on this. I'm curious to know what happens because I'm expecting somebody to ask, what about with all these new shoes now, with these new super foams and stuff like that? Does that change your opinion on this stuff? Are you asking me that? Yeah. No. <laughs> like, I think I'm, the, I'm of the same vein, actually, to be honest. I'm like, can, can, for me, I'm in a space with this where it's like, convince me otherwise that these things decrease tissue damage yes. like significantly. I like, if you can convince me of that, then I'm in. But until that happens, like, what's the point? What's if if you can give me a good point to run faster sooner, I'm all in. But yeah, do you have a do you have a reason that you'd want to run faster sooner? No, actually, my argument would be even with the super shoes that we're seeing. Yes, you're gonna you might feel better, you might feel like you're recovering. But please remember that you can't get rid of force. You're just moving them. You know, these shoes have been great in terms of people have been experiencing less achiness in certain areas but it definitely still really works your musculoskeletal your muscular system so you were not just talking about joints we're talking about muscle tissue we're talking about tendons we're talking about all these other things we're even talking about your nervous system right which also yeah, carries some biomarkers there so i agree with you i think that yes these are awesome but please don't think that you're going to cheat the system and your body does need time to recover. Well, and I think you just mentioned the nervous system. And when we went through our list of things, this is not just a mechanical thing. Our 
metabolic systems, right. our hormonal systems, those things are all involved too. And shoes aren't going to change the, the stress on the, you know, the cardiovascular system to a degree that, that changes some of those damage damages that happen. And our, we talked about mental health after yes. runs like this. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot that goes on that a shoe isn't going to fix. So until, like I said, until something, something can convince me otherwise. And if there is something that I don't know, yeah. I'd love to hear it. I actually never share that strong of an opinion. I mean, that might be the strongest opinion I've yeah. ever shared on the podcast. If somebody knows, <laughs> a, if a, we, I haven't seen it either, but if, and I haven't looked for it to be fair, but if somebody knows of a research study where they looked at that and with the, that kind of magnitude, not just like a 5k, 10k effort, but look at like a marathon effort and see what was the difference in like tissue recovery and stuff like that. That'd be very, very interesting. Probably not pleasant because yeah. that's you're going to need a muscle biopsy. And I can tell you that people don't like participating in oh, that. Those are brutal. Those are brutal. So, yeah, cool. So that was, we, again, the first part of this episode is to outline scenarios in which you may want to decrease or alter the amount of load, stress and strain on your body. So scenario one is after a huge race. Right. Um, scenario number two that we wanted to talk about a bit is returning from an injury. So, you know, this is this is a huge topic in our passion area, Matt. Yep. So first, tell me a little bit about what sort of considerations that you have when it comes to load changes based on maybe it's injury type, maybe it's surgery, kind of what, what sort of considerations do you have off the bat? And we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, I think this is going to be exactly what we just said. Muscle, you know, regardless of the tissue that that has been injured there are healing timelines and we the the best example i can show you of where this doesn't work uh although people might not be aware of this is at the elite level so if we're talking about football baseball all these sports you're like oh you know somebody so and so got through an acl repair and like acl repair in like six weeks and they're back on the field the the there are going to be some serious consequences the rates of re-injury are extremely high the rates of complications are extremely high these are individuals that their bodies they are being paid to put their bodies through things that are really not healthy and they will pay for it um being an elite athlete like that in in their older years is not pleasant from what i've experienced so these things have times they have times and i don't care what you're being told they need time to heal and that means they need to yeah. be loaded appropriately and you need to get back to that appropriately. So that me and but the hardest thing coming back is people, you know, we just talked about this beforehand. I have a huge problem with patience. Patience is something that most people don't have a lot of. But understanding <laughs> that you have to have this because you're running and the load that you and whatever load that you choose is actually part of the rehab program and you can do too much or you can do it just enough right but that's that can be a fine thing to kind of fall over and you have to make sure like if you've had an injury and you've been off for you know eight 12 weeks your body hasn't been experiencing that same training load and you have to ease your body into it or you're going to either re-agitate that tissue or irritate something else so the key is there are specific timelines and you do have to respect those timelines but also realize that you have to let the rest of your body also catch up which sometimes happens so patience is really important i think one of the biggest things that i have taken from reading literature on injury rates um, is that the the biggest consensus of what causes running related injuries there's there's really not very good consensus because people get injured for a lot of individual factors 
believe it or not, we always say it depends because yes. it does. Uh, but the the one thing that's pretty much consensus is that the highest risk for a future injury is a previous injury in the last 12 months. And that's a lot of times due to lack of appropriate recovery and allowing your body to have the appropriate amount of loading through uh, through that tissue. And so I, I think you hit the nail on the head and you had kind of alluded to the fact that there's these healing timeframes for different types of tissues. So I do want to kind of go down that road a little bit. Can you talk about, maybe let's go through some major ones. A lot of runners have tendon issues and a lot of runners have bone bone related issues. Can you talk a little bit about healing timeframes for tendons um, and the kind of the offshoots of that as yep. well as healing timeframe for bone? Yeah, let me start with bone first because that's the easiest ones because bone takes longer than people expect. Um, some of the timelines that I've seen for that is a minimum of like six to eight weeks, which is, I don't think that's, I've seen that and I'm like, that's not long enough. We're looking at like eight to 12 weeks minimum for, for bone healing, right? Before you can really, really, really start getting after that. Tendon is kind of the same thing where, you know, it can take several, several weeks for the thing to heal. But we also know, we've mentioned this as a previous podcast, that true rehab of a tendon needs to take nine months if you want to make sure there's no reoccurrence. So that's, again, that same thing. This stuff takes a long time. The mus muscle strains, muscle irritations can take a minimum, depending on the the um, the level, can take four to six weeks to heal. And that's kind of when I'm when I'm forgetting my timelines four to six weeks is kind of a normal healing timeline or adapt adaptation timeline which for muscle is also how long it takes to really adapt to certain kinds of strength training but it takes several weeks it's not like oh it's a week it's done it's we're talking weeks and weeks that that are necessary which doesn't necessarily mean like when you're coming back like some people might not be able to run based on their load tolerance other people might need to but you just have to you have to give your body time to adapt. And that's what I think yeah. people don't realize. Any, is I off on any of those? No, I, I think that those are, are pretty much in the, in the realms that I was thinking. And I, I do think one little caveat is there's a difference between pain and injury. Yes. So like you might experience pain in your post-tib tendon area, like on the inside of your ankle, or you might experience Achilles tendon pain, like kind of this transient, oh, it hurts today. And then in a couple days, it's gone. You never feel it again. That's going to happen. That's different than injury. So I think that's a huge distinction. So when you come to a place, and this is where probably knowing if you had an injury is going to be longevity of symptoms, type of symptoms, and help with a diagnosis by a health professional, healthcare professional like a PT. And so when you when you enter that realm, that's when that those timeframes that you said really come into play. And for I would say the other thing to consider for bone is that those healing timeframes can go all the way out to 12 weeks, um, especially considering your age and the other comorbidities that you might have. There are certain types of conditions that slow down the rate of healing of things like bone. So it's obviously going to depend on who you are, but just knowing that it does take a long time. And we'll talk a little bit more about what is acceptable um, at different phases of recovery and what type of tissue is involved? Because you had mentioned, um, no, I'll, I'll stop there. What do you, what do you got? I was like, were you talking specifically to me about the Achilles and post tip stuff? Or is that just in general? I was like, how did he know that? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no. Are you having that right now? No, but those, those do pop up occasionally for me. Those Achilles and post tip are my two, two, uh, like, Oh, hold on a second. Yeah. 
What do you do though? So when those pop up, what do you do? Yeah, it means, I mean, I'm the kind of person that typically runs through everything, but how I do that gets modified very quickly where I'm like, you know what? I got to, what kind of things are going to be agitating this? How, you know, I may not be, be as flexible with my shoe choice. I need to be careful with side of the road, like whatever. I, I know that stresses that I got to back off. So like so you, harder workouts. You find ways to alter the load. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate that I can catch it. I'm usually very aware of this stuff, so I'll catch it before it gets us to a point where I can't run. But it, right. the load management starts immediately when I find the when I'm aware of those symptoms until I can prove to myself that that's gone. Yeah, I'd say the other thing you mentioned that I think is worth talking about is you said you can either o- overload something appropriately, load something, and I would even say in underload. the cases of tendons, you can underload something. Would, yeah. Um, if you if you have Achilles tendon pain and you just let it rest for a couple weeks, it will come back. It will. I can for pretty sure. much promise you, like it's going to come back and. You, ha- you have to know how to load tendons. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit as we yeah. keep going. And this is not a deep dive on tendon pathology. The yeah. idea is load matters, stress and strain matter, and it's going to depend on the type of injury. And we yeah. just want to talk about strategies to alter your load uh, if if things come. So one reason to alter your load is coming off of a big race. Uh, you're going to want to give your body time to recover. Another time to alter your load is returning from an injury um, or if you're yeah returning from an, uh, from a true injury where you're you're coming back or from a surgery and making sure that your body doesn't go from no load to tons of load like you haven't squatted in five years and then you go try to squat 300 pounds um, it's just not a smart move and surgery is a, a, a sometimes a different ball game because you have additional factors with the actual procedure that may have t- damaged other mm-hmm. tissues. So you do need to factor that in as well. And those are really big things going, don't rush that because you don't want to end back up there because the more times you have to go into surgery, the worse your outcomes are. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was just working with a lady who had a um, hip labor repair and a lot of other things, pretty, pretty involved arthroscopic procedure yep. of her hip. And we waited a long time to return to running um, we did a lot of other things before yep. we got to that point and she's doing really, really well awesome. right now, um, in her running and is actually running further now than she was two years ago. And so, Great. you know, it's, it's, it's pa- patients from a post-op perspective and really respecting what the procedure was and the goal of the procedure. Like th- there's, there's a lot of complication yep. that goes into that. So, um, it's a good point to just be pretty cautious on, not jumping too quickly to conclusions and working with your surgeon and your PT to figure out how to achieve the goals that you have uh, when it comes to running. Okay. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of different tissues and returning to running after injury? I think the other thing I would, I would mention is, but this comes with time. So most people who are starting out, are not going to be aware of this. And I don't want to cause fear because I've found that when we go this route, sometimes people are like, as soon as something starts hurting, they, they just totally stop and they give up everything. That's why there's a difference between pain and injury and learning to figure out what those things are very important. If you are getting something that's kind of like that pain that's leading toward injury, that might be as you get to know your body. Like I'm very lucky that I've done this enough times where I'm like, I know the difference between like, that's just, this is just going to go away versus like, Hmm. That's a little different. And now being able to quickly without without being inpatient going, all right, how do I start modifying this depending on what it is? 
And so if you start having something that's going, hey, this is starting to look toward an injury, how can I modify this load? And some things we'll talk about are definitely options, but also thinking, you know, hey, do I need to change my training plans? Do I need to maybe back off some workouts or back off some mileage like to keep myself moving? But what do I need to modify to maybe let give this stuff a little extra time that it might need right now? Right. So even like the pre 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 injury, like pre before things get everything comes to a halt, essentially. Yeah. And I actually we had Brody um, Sharp on the yeah. podcast not too long ago, and I really liked his definition of uh, running injury free. Yeah. Was basically like if your training plan or your goals don't have to be interrupted due to whatever's going on. Yeah. Then you avoided like an injury and you were injury free. And I, I really appreciated that because it didn't mean that you never skipped something on your running plan. Right. It didn't mean that you took a week off. It, it means that you didn't lose your fitness or whatever your goals are. So before we move into the next part, I do want to talk a little bit about kind of just shaping the idea of what's the point of of modifying load and i think that can easily get lost and what i what i think is a caution is to think about oh i don't want to skip a run or i don't want to run slower or i don't want to do some sort of cross training because of something that's not actually important so when you start to think about why we're going to modify load and the strategies we're going to talk about I want to make sure that it's congruent with the goals that you have. So if it's if you do have a race coming up and you really want to perform well, yes, that's what should be taken into account. If you don't have a race coming up but you want your Strava to look good, no, that's not a good enough reason to to push through something or mo- or modify your load in a way that is kind of on the on the knife's edge of risk to non-risk. Um, just just really be cautious of kind of what's going on in your head and what's your motivator towards this sort of decision to modify load and how you go about it. What do you have? Matt? I, I'd say my comment and one of my my continual harping, having learned this myself and taking a long time, is that your your status on Strava, you got to decide, is that worth your health and longevity, especially when it comes to easy runs? I've, I've told this story before, but before I came down to Southern California, I was very lucky. I got to train with some Kenyans and Ethiopians who really kind of woke me up to what training at that level is like if you really want to be on that balance and especially when it comes to easy runs like do not be afraid to drop that pace i used to go join them and first of all they always showed up late but second of all they would be run these are these are individuals who are running 207 208 marathon pace which is you know like at or below five minute per mile for a marathon They'd be running at nine, 10 minute pace for a good eight, 10 mile run. And I, I, I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is such a waste of time. And it wasn't until I realized like they're just letting their bodies recover and it's just trying to get to the next workout. So, you know, if you have to slow down an easy run or slow down even a, or modify a workout a little bit, if it still gets you to your end goal, that's the most important thing because no one workout is going to make you but it can definitely break you. Mm-hmm. That's a huge. That's a huge thing. So, what are some global strategies that you think of to modify load um, as as a runner? Yeah, this is a great question. I, I do. Uh, this is a little judgmental, but I do want the masters runners that I talk with and work with to listen to this. Is that a great way to modify load? Is cross training. You know, running is a very repetitive thing. And with things that you put the same stresses, strains, and loads into over and over again, there is an inherent 
risk there, right? Although, you know, if you do it appropriately, that's a different story. It can actually make you strong. You know, it can improve tissue resilience, but there's always a risk with doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's why we talk about having, thinking about a shoe rotation, having different runs, different stuff like that. But you can also change that by even modifying your activity and having other things like other activities where you're still staying active, but it's just not the same stresses and loads. Like, cycling is a great thing doing i've already mentioned like water running or different kinds of sports that give your your musculoskeletal system kind of a, a break while giving it something different is a really good way to think about that mm-hmm. yeah i think that's great so a couple of you had mentioned there was walking yeah um maybe yeah. walking uphill yeah hiking um, things like that yeah. yeah hiking yeah cycling, cycling. um Mm-hmm. Those are all changes yeah. in the amount of impact going through the body. Yeah. Swimming, uh, and, and, water running. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of options th- to change. And you also mentioned slowing down. Um, in some cases, you, your body just can't handle the higher effort in force demand yeah. production, force production demand that a certain type of run puts in. And so slowing it way down might be all you need or cutting your run from 50 minutes to 30 minutes or from 30 minutes to 20 minutes. Um, well, we could argue that is there a point in running 20 minutes from a cardiovascular perspective, um, from a fitness perspective, but I still like it. <laughs> yeah. But for different reasons, maybe yeah. than to gain like cardiovascular fitness in 20 minutes, it's all like mental health. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, there's a lot of strategies and what we want to do here is take a little bit of a deep dive into body weight support strategies to modify load what are some different options and why might one be a really good option for certain scenarios versus another. So the big three that we're going to hit are um, aqua jogging, deep water running, and then we'll talk about two different treadmill systems, one of them being the Alter-G and the other one being the lever system. It's basically harness systems for treadmills that utilize bungees to to offer bodyweight support. So let's, let's start with deep water running, Matt. Um, tell us what you know about deep water running and your experience in using deep water running. Kind of give us a lowdown on what you think about it and what you know about it. I have a love-hate relationship with water running or aqua jogging, which I, I call it water running because I hate the term aqua jogging. Uh, that was something that I was... <laughs> why? Because uh, I, I associate it with being injured. That's why. Even though oh. <laughs> if I had it, when I've had access to a pool, I have felt much better utilizing it as a as a tool. Uh, so water running is where you, you know, and people do it in various ways. Some people use a flotation device. We, when I was in college, we didn't get to do that. Um, but when I was in high school during my first injury, which is also my first cross country season, um, it's where you get in the pool and you mimic the action of running in the water without any impact or with low impact. Cause you can either do this non-weight bearing or do it in the shallow end, whichever one your tissues can tolerate. In college, it was we used it as a just normal part of our training. So every Tuesday, Thursday, we would be in there for 30 to 45 minutes in the pool doing this as part of our training for fitness without increasing stress. Um, there is some – I was surprised. I didn't know until a couple of years ago that there was actually some evidence on this stuff that you can actually use it to certainly maintain your fitness for I think it was like six to eight weeks if I'm – It's six, six, six weeks. Six yep. weeks, Yeah. Um, because, and the nice part is it actually maintains some similar biomechanics, although there, 
kinetically and kinematically some things or like muscle wise some of the activation patterns certainly change but it's a good way to keep that running motion and still work on that without doing something totally foreign like hopping on a bike and something like that so it's a good tool how people do it again with the with or without the floating device depends yeah but low or no impact which is really nice yeah, I think the the research studies that look at it that have shown the six weeks of maintenance of cardiovascular fitness, two things about that. One, those were all done in the deep water running scenarios ah, where I didn't you're know using that. a yeah. flotation belt for running. The second thing about them is that those were in um, highly trained uh, endurance athletes. So this isn't in someone like me who's not running at like a semi-professional level these but the studies were in those semi-professional levels so people with very high levels of fitness were able to maintain their cardiovascular fitness over six weeks of using aqua jogging which just shows you how potent of a thing it is because they found that in people more like me the common folk their their improve their ability to maintain and even gain some fitness was better in the water i i think a couple considerations one um I, I did my fair amount of aqua jogging this spring, unfortunately. Like you said, it's associated with injury, so it has a little bitter taste to it. Um, a couple maybe little things to think about. One is that the form is really easy to get wrong. It's easy to just kind of like piston your legs up and down, but really you have to do this cyclical motion with your feet. It's also really tempting to use your hands to kind of pull yourself forward when really you want to keep your hands slicing through the water and letting your legs do all of the work. You'd mentioned that the loading on our muscles is different in this scenario than in in than overground. And I would say that's actually one of the big considerations where I think that deep water aqua jogging is really helpful specifically in scenarios regarding, uh, bone stress injuries, because in bone stress injury, we talked about the healing time frame, but the other thing we didn't talk about is the amount of pain that you can have when you have a bone stress injury is zero, no pain, yep. none. If you have pain during a bone stress injury recovery, you are not recovering. It will not get better. You have to have no pain to be able to recover. So going in deep water allows you to completely offload the bones from impact, and it can be a really nice way to do it. Conversely, I've uh, had people who've had hip flexor strains, um, pretty severe hip flexor strains, and have actually advised them to not do deep water running because when we're running over ground, there isn't resistance much from the air that add you know, demand on your leg to advance forward, which uses your hip flexors. Whereas in the water to get your limb to advance forward, you have to use things like your hip flexors and going backwards, a lot of hamstring demand. So the, the load on the hamstring tendons and the hip flexor tendons really increases with deep water running. And so depending on what type of injury you're recovering from, it may be a better option or a worse option. And then as always comes in the question of accessibility and availability. Do you have access to a pool and all that kind of stuff? But those are a couple pearls that I think about in terms of who should use it, who's it best for, who may it not be as good for. The other thing I would uh, warrant based on is remember that this is actually really hard. If you think about the fact that elite athletes were able to maintain their cardiovascular benefits and then the rest of us will see improvements or maintenance or, or sometimes improvements, it is really hard if you do it for long periods. And it's something, again, if you don't take the time to adapt to it, you can definitely strain stuff. Your hip flexors, extensors, your knee flexors will get sore. The thing that I made the mistake of being you know, a little obsessive was when I was first injured, I got in the pool twice a day and was doing 45 minutes to an hour 
twice and before i knew it i was getting all these other aches and pains i couldn't sleep because i put myself into overtraining syndrome with water running and so you have to recognize that again don't overdo it because you can end up doing something else this is not like free exercise time it's there's still things that are there's still stresses being placed upon here including on your physiologic system so be aware of that it's not to scare you. Yep. It's just to make, go, hey, this is not now a free-for-all. This is – you need to be smart with your how you load your body in this way. Totally. Yeah, I I really like it as a tool. Um, it is really hard to do it <laughs> in is, practicality. Yes. Like you have to work hard to be able to get the changes that you want yep. from a cardiovascular perspective. You can't just go in there and aqua jog. That's the other thing no. I think. Yeah. Jog is a misnomer because it's you have to really put in the effort yes. to get the elevation of your heart rate. So just keeping that in mind is important. But it's a really potent tool, it as is. we've learned yep. for the right scenarios. So the second, the, so we have two other ones we want to talk about, and we'll separate them, but they both are overground on a treadmill. Um, and the first one we'll talk about is the Alter G. So there are, are more than just the, the Alter G is a brand. Um, but really the idea is that it's this positive air pressure chamber that you zip yourself into using neoprene shorts and this whole chamber blows up and it calibrates to your body weight. Um, and you can use it to off, uh, to decrease the amount of body weight going through your legs. So the Alter G is one of the brands that does this. I would say they're the most common brand that does this sort of treadmill. Um, do you have personal experience with Alter G's? Yeah, I've only ever been in one one time. I've put a couple people in oh, really? them, but yeah, I haven't had access to a lot of them. It was it was interesting. Uh, I was definitely really itchy afterwards. Um, but <laughs> itchy. Tell me more about that. The uh, neoprene, what like a uh, gator thing that you put on, can get really sweaty and uncomfortable if you're not wearing the right <laughs> shorts or the right equipment. So yeah, got a little itchy. I, how long how long ago were you in in one? Do you remember? It was, was, recent or was, it it was like ago? during fellowship. So it was before I'd met you, actually. That's how long okay. ago that was. So it was a I would say their ago. shorts got have gotten way better. Oh, that's They've good really to know. they thinned out a lot. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I think it's a very real consideration. So this positive air pressure chamber, um, there's no airflow really in this thing. So like you'll get out and it, you'll just be sweaty. Like it, it's just part of the Itchy. part of the beast yeah. if you're going to be. <laughs> but the, the shorts have gotten better. Good. That's good um, to know. A couple... A couple cool things about Alter G's is just the precision in yeah. which that they do their thing. So what happens is you stand in this treadmill, you zip yourself in, it blows up, it calibrates to your body weight, and it off you'll feel it lifting you up through these shorts, kind of like through the shorts and through the waist. And then it brings you back down to 100% of your body weight. And then you on their treadmill can press a button to decrease the percentage of body weight going through your legs. So you can go everywhere from 100, then you go 99%, 98%, 97%, all the way down to 20%. So you can offload yourself a heck of a lot in one of these things. Um, and, And I would say there's there's usefulness from that on two levels. One, the precision is really nice, uh, especially in the cases if you're recovering post-operatively and you're wanting to return to some loading. So let's say you're not ready for running, but you do want to start working on some hopping. You can decrease your body weight down to 20% and do a little bit of hopping in there. I I would say all of this would be under the direction of your physical therapist. I wouldn't go out and hop post-operatively without your PT wanting you to do this or directing you in how to do it, to be honest. You just don't want to do that. But 
for PTs, they also, PTs also listen to this podcast. Um, I really like to use the Alter-G with my patients in a way to introduce some plyometric type activity when it's appropriate postoperatively at very low percentages of body weight. You can also do things like squats and step-ups in the Alter-G. You just have to put a stair in there and then just never turn the belt on, obviously. You could just, but you can have a, you can have a step in there. You can do step up, step downs, all that kind of stuff and start loading tissues um, and doing calf raises and hops and all this stuff. So if you're dealing with different tendon sort of pathologies, it's a really nice tool in that. And you can really measure your progress by incrementally and by each percentage, increasing the amount of body weight going through their leg. It's a really nice tool. Um, I would say that from a running perspective and using it for running, it can feel pretty awkward, especially once you get less than 80% of your body weight. It feels really unnatural at that point. Um, and that's a little subjective. That's just kind of how I feel about it, but I have a little bit of science to back that up. Uh, but things above 80%, it's a really nice tool to be able to go out for a run and not have as much load if you're needing to decrease the amount of stress and strain on your body. Um, and I would say the other way you could use an Alter-G is not for decreasing load, but more slowly increasing load. Meaning that if you want to start training for a marathon or adding a fourth day in of running in a week or a fifth day in of running a week or starting to run doubles, you could do your, you know, let's say you've been consistently running three days a week for the last three years and you're like, I run one four, but I don't want to do it too fast. Then your fourth day, you could hop on an Alter-G and run at 85% body weight for your first couple weeks and use it just to slowly increase the amount of load that's going through your body because you would just decrease the amount of stress and the amount of strain. That could be another, another little way to add amount of mileage to your training. Couple bummers about Alter G. One is that they cost at a minimum like $35,000 for like their lowest base model. Um, but I would say the and, and they're just not that common. Um, but there are clinics that have them that rent out uh, time on their Alter-Gs at usually a pretty reasonable amount, um, which which could be something worth looking into. I know Alter-Gs website has a little like tab at the top that says find an Alter-G. And so you can look to see if there's one in your area that you could utilize for either continuing to run while you're needing to decrease your load or using it as a tool for progressing your training. I think that both of those are are viable options. So there you go with the Alter-G. The final one is one that's slightly more accessible and it's like harness system treadmill um, bodyweight support. So the one that I've used personally is Lever, the Lever Pro system. Matt, have you used any harness systems? I, I, I've never used... Well... I've used them at Costa Colina doing post-op stroke, but this is not the same. This is not Different, the same at yes. all. Yeah. 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 The Lever Pro system, I should have brought my, I have it uh, in the other room right now. I should have brought it in here, but um, super lightweight system that takes about, you know, two to three minutes to set up. And all you need is, you know, straight arms on the treadmill and they just ratchet down with these kind of straps um, that you can attach the the harness system onto. And again, you have to wear some neoprene shorts uh, that you that you put on. And then there's these bungees that attach from the front and the back of this harness system. And with this, it's the the nice thing is that if you want your own it's more affordable than thirty five thousand dollars, but it's still not cheap. It's still like twelve hundred bucks to get both the system and a pair of shorts. So you're not, you know, it's still costing 
you know, a pretty penny to get something like this, but it is, then it is yours. You can use it whenever you want and you can, it's mobile. It takes very short amount of time to like take it down and put it back up. Um, but I've really enjoyed having it for a lot of the same reasons that we talked about with the Altergy, except it is, there's two things that are different. Um, well, there's a million things that are different, but two like significant different thing differences. One of the differences is that, um, you don't have that air pressure chamber. So you have a lot more of the airflow, um, which I think is a positive. And then the second thing that's a little bit more of a negative, but it's not a negative if you don't need it, the precision is way lower. So the harness system and the bungees have these lines that technically stand for five pounds of force, and you can decrease your body weight up to 40 pounds using the Lever Pro system, but it's not exact. And over time, the bungees do stretch out a little bit. So the capacity to get 40 pounds offloaded isn't necessarily known all the time because the bungees are going to change. So it's a little less precise, but it does give you a little bit more of a natural feel. And it's just a little bit more accessible if you do want your own. So I've I've enjoyed using it. I've enjoyed using the Alter-G. Um, the clinic that I used to work at had an Alter-G and I used it all the time for, for patients and runners. And I would use it myself. If I was feeling banged up, I would just go jump on there (laughs) instead of going out for a run. So they're, they're pretty useful. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, I had mentioned that, uh, the, I'd said it feels unnatural if you get a little bit too low. And the reason for this is actually there are, there are biomechanical changes that happen when you go into bodyweight supported situations. And the biggest thing, two things that happen is one is there is an, a decrease in your cadence. So I think for every 10%, I should find the actual numbers, but it's for every 10% of your body weight, there's like a one and a half to three and a half percent decrease in your cadence. So once you get down below, you know, you go to 90%, take away one to three percent off your cadence. Once you go down to 80, 70, 60, 50, you're going to have a much lower cadence, which is just going to feel so different than your normal. That's because you're basically just floating up there, right? You're like running on the moon is what it starts to feel like. So you're going to have that decrease in cadence. And if you've been paying attention to conversations on cadence, there's a lot of glorifying of Oh, you run with a higher cadence, which actually, yeah, there are a lot of benefits of, of cadence changes from your normal. There isn't like a perfect number to reach. There are some numbers for injury risk. Not a caveat. Sorry, not a caveat. We're going down. Don't today. go down that road. <laughs> sorry, we can't go there. Um, but one of the concerns that you might think about as you heard me say that there's a decrease in cadence with lower body weight um, is, oh, is that going to put too much stress then on my tissues? Because lower cadence does have higher demands on the body um, as compared to higher cadence for the same individual. But the other changes that happen biomechanically is that um, you're having a decrease in range of motion at the hip and the ankle and the knee. And so you're, you're moving more, but there's less excursion and work happening at each of these joints. So they really offset themselves because you're having so much less impact forces because of the decreased body weight. So all of that to say there's biomechanical changes that happen when you run in body weight supported situations, but, um, they're not really that impactful. So I could have just probably not said any of this, but I'm a nerd. So I like talking about the changes that happen in these situations. Um, but I do think the one other important thing to say is we, we kind of praised water aqua jogging for its ability to maintain cardiovascular fitness. The same is not true for these body weight support systems. 
If you're running at decreased body weight percentage, you're not going to be getting the same cardiovascular fitness outputs um, because of the decreased demand on your body. It just kind of makes logical sense that you're not having to support your entire body weight, and therefore you're not having the same amount of demand, which is not promoting the same response and changes in your muscular system, cardiovascular system, all of those things. What they found is if you want to maintain cardiovascular fitness, or if you want to gain cardiovascular fitness, you actually have to do what are called overspeed sessions. So they found basically if you wanted to run eight miles an hour over ground to get the same amount of change from running eight miles an hour over ground at 80% body weight, you'd have to run at 10 miles an hour. So you'd have to do overspeed sessions on your treadmill with this body weight support system to be able to achieve the changes that you want. So I think in positioning that concept in this conversation is if you're trying to decrease your load for the sake of recovery from injury or recovery from a marathon, an overspeed session is not an option. (laughs) Um, The only time an overspeed session becomes an option is if you're not injured and you're not recovering from a race and you want to use body weight support as a way to increase the amount of training that you do. So you can do an overspeed session, which will decrease the impact loading, but it will help you gain fitness because you're running at a higher speed. So I think when you, when you think about if you want to maintain cardiovascular fitness and you don't have any complications that would say aqua jogging is a bad idea, that's your kind of gold standard option. If you're wanting to just stay healthy and access something that's going to allow you to decrease load but continue running for mental health reasons or at least maintaining some fitness, bodyweight support treadmill options come there, especially if you have access to something like an Ultra-G or a lever system or some other harness system uh, that that just gets connected to a treadmill. Um, Do you have anything else to add about any of these options, Matt? No, I think, you know, I haven't experienced lever before other than just seeing it, uh, but I haven't actually run on it or had anybody run on it. It's it's not a bad tool. These are great things to not only maybe modify load in training going, hey, you know, I want to get a second run or want to add another run during week, which you mentioned, but also like, hey, this is a great tool to help ease back into some of these activities. It is interesting to me. I I didn't know that last part that the uh, the cardiovascular maintenance was not as good. I would have assumed the opposite, but that does make sense. And it's interesting the benefits of you know water water running is much harder than you give it credit for. That resistance again can can provide quite a bit of effort. So if you are new to that, please just like anything, please ease your way into this stuff. And I think the same can be said because I, I I think we talked about this before that biomechanically there are some also some changes that occur with the supported running overground, either in Ultra G or in the lever. There's been some early evidence, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, it tends to, with the changes that happen, it tends to kind of put more stress in certain muscular tissues, right? So you've got less bone stress, but the same kind of thing, there can be more stress, correct me if I'm wrong, on hamstrings? Is that correct? With the with the treadmill systems? Yeah. Is that correct, or did I misinterpret that? Yeah, it, it shouldn't really do too much, okay. um, unless I miss something yeah. too. But um, just because the amount of lo- amount of excursion that you're going through, mm-hmm. everything's just down. Yeah, everything's decreased. There isn't any unless you're doing an overspeed session. So an overspeed session, you're going to get some more hamstring work just from the fact that you have to get that turnover more quick. Um, but but. No, everything should be decreased in the body weight supported situations on a treadmill. Yeah, so it's definitely with the water running, not necessarily with the Correct. treadmill stuff, but then you have there's kind of more you got to do to maintain any kind of fitness. Yes. Yeah, and I think just to 
bring a little bit of nuance to it. Just because you aren't getting the exact same amount of demand on your body, being able to run on an Alter-G or a lever system or some other harness system is going to maintain your fitness better than bed rest or like right. just sitting on your couch. So it's going to be giving you some stimuli that is going to be beneficial to get you to whatever goals that you have. It just won't be as much as if you weren't hurt, but it'll be better than if you didn't have that tool. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's worth considering. So I actually, I wrote up a, a longer kind of segment on body weight support and running, um, on our website that a lot of the stuff we just talked about is made a lot more clear and concise that you could read it if, if you're that way. And I actually have links to a lot of different studies throughout the article that you could check out kind of how I'm going about thinking about this. And I also have added in some clinical pearls for clinicians to think of other uses that you might want to use body weight support for outside of the running populations. Um, but if you, it's on our website, it's on doctorsrunning.com. It's called body weight support running benefits and uses. So you could... Oh man, and my title on there is Global Brand Manager. I never really get how I'm the global brand manager. It's fine. But anyway, if you if you can't find it on our website, what you can do is Google bodyweight support running. And it's actually like the second thing that pops up on Google, or you could just say bodyweight support running, doctors of running, and it would pop up and you'd be able to find it. So if you want to hear a little bit more of my thoughts in a concise and clear manner, um, feel free to check that out. And it also is, you know ways to check out more about Alter-G and finding the website or the Lever Pro and that kind of stuff. So feel free to check that out. Matt, is there anything else that you want to add in before we close things out today? No, I think just uh, helping people remember that this is not, we're not telling you like, you know, if you have some minor pain just to like stop running all of a sudden, you need to modify the load. So it's something that's tolerable for your body, depending on the tissue that's, that that's happening from is going to, is going to vary greatly about how much, and you're going to have to learn how much your body can. And that's why, again, having a good PT can help guide you through this, but it's a personal journey of going, how much can my body handle? What do I need to modify? Whether it's with an actual injury, whether it's training, and there are lots of tools out there now, and I suggest, hey, not a bad idea to think about using some of them. If I had access, when I did have access to a pool, even when I wasn't injured, I found myself, gravi- even though I initially hated it, finding myself gravitating and doing some second efforts. Instead of doing a second run, I was just you know hopping in the pool and doing some intervals. And there are some great benefits. You just have to have the, the resources are kind of the key thing there, but right. it's it might be worth the investment for people that are really taking this seriously or looking to try to maintain fitness and modify load as they come back. Or if you have a good relationship with your PT clinic, yeah. you can convince them to buy it and then just use it. Say, hey, yep. I'll pay you $5 a session. And they'll be like, okay. <laughs> so, great. Well, it was it was great to hear, Matt, your thoughts yep. on kind of this topic of when might we want to change the amount of load and stress and strain going through our tissues uh, and some strategies to yep. do so. If you have any other further questions, you can always reach out to us at doctorsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com or doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. We, we check both of those. Um, feel free to ask us more questions there. We're probably going to be doing another Q&A episode upcoming in the pretty near future in the next month or so. Um, we're trying to do them every six weeks, I think, or something like that. So we'll, if we can't answer it directly in the email, we might add it to the podcast episode list for, uh, the upcoming Q and a episode. Otherwise you can, again, you can search for that article on our website at darksrunning.com about body weight support in running. You can also check out everything else we're doing on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and, uh, just, 
continue following along with what we're learning and hopefully going on this journey together. Have a great day, night, morning, everybody. Oh, 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 oh,